Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Joe Green. Joe Joseph E. Green is, is the name he uses for the title of his books, and I've read through two of them. They're titled Dissenting Views, Investigations into History, Philosophy, Cinema, and Conspiracy. And there's two volumes, so volume one and two. Collections of essays, but really a fascinating read. I've had a couple, some other guests about uh, JFK conspiracy. Uh, one is Philip Nelson. And he actually writes about them. And I learned a lot from reading through a lot of his material. He has a lot of experience within kind of the JFK assassination community. His website is his name with JFK at the end. So it's www.joegreenjfk.com. And I'm delighted to have him. So Joe E. Green, thank you for agreeing to the interview. Oh, you bet, William. It's a pleasure to be on. Cool. So for people who may not have heard your background, uh, you've been, I heard you on another, another podcast can you kind of tell, you have a very, uh, you have a history with the JFK research community, the JFK assassination. Maybe you can just take your time and, and talk about your background and how you became interested in that subject. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, I uh, Probably the first time, it's kind of a weird story, but the first time I actually got interested in the Kennedy assassination as such was I was hired to write a script by a guy, an independent producer out in Austin who wanted to make a film that had elements of the JFK conspiracy in it. It wasn't a JFK movie per se, but he wanted to have allusions to that. And so I was like, okay. So he gave me a couple of books to read and I read them and I was kind of astonished to see that it wasn't nonsense. Um, my father was a professor. And so I grew up around professors and in academia and uh, conspiracies are not something that academics get into on any level. And so um, I had never taken any of that seriously, even after watching the film JFK, the Oliver Stone film, which is terrific, uh, back in 91 or 92, whenever it came out, um, I had categorized it as a really superb uh, example of filmmaking, but not but it didn't turn my brain into thinking, well, well, maybe there really is something to this. It uh, shows how abstract I was. I was also a kid. Um, anyway, so I got to, I was hired to write the script. And then uh, in the process of doing that, which was like a two-year process and the film collapsed, which happens, um, I got interested specifically in a guy named John Judge because I had read a book called Secret and Suppressed that was put out by Adam Parfrey. And one of the essays is by John Judge. It's called The Black Hole of Guiana. And that essay changed everything for me, although that was about Jonestown. It was not about JFK. But I thought it was a really stunning essay. And I thought, wow, I got to meet this guy. And I did. Um, I live in San Antonio. So I drove down to Dallas uh, in November because John Judge headed up an organization called the Coalition on Political Assassinations, COPA. And when I read about that, I said, well, hell, I can I can do this. So I just drove to Dallas uh, to the hotel and I I'm always early. Every time I go places, I always go really early. And I went in the morning and I saw John Judge in the breakfast room and we ended up talking for several hours. And basically that turned my head around to everything. And that was a really I'm. I'm very happy that that's the way it happened for me because if I had pursued JFK solely, um, it's possible that I would have gotten wrapped up only in that assassination because one of the things that made John Judge different was 
her mentor, uh, his mentor rather was Mae Brussel. And Mae Brussel, of course, got into everything. And once you are exposed to that, at least for me, it was a mind blowing experience. And then I started to look into all these things and thought, good Lord, like right, there's a whole the alternate like, history out there. You went to November yeah. in Dallas, so that was on the JFK. Do you remember what year you met John Judge originally? Uh, it was either 05 or 06. Okay. And he's passed away, yeah. unfortunately, for people who don't know. In 2014, um, unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so you kind of have a direct pedigree all the way back to Mae Brussel. Maybe for people who don't know about the importance of her work and John Judge, you could talk maybe. Yeah, yeah. Mae Brussel. Um, so Mae Brussel was a housewife who – got interested in um, all sorts of things. But what she really got into was the Nazi connection in the U.S. after World War II. And once she started looking into this, in, in particular, the connection of the what we might call the aristocracy in the United States, the, the families that go back to England, um, which, of course, feeds into the CIA because those guys are coming from Yale and from the older academic institutions. Well, once we brought in the Nazis after World War II, they started going, infiltrating everything. And May was on top of this. And so it enabled her, because she was had this brilliant, uh, rational mind, she was able to make these connections in real time as it was happening. So May Brussel, if you start reading her shows or, or reading her, her material, She's creating an alternate history at the same time that it's happening. And nine times out of 10, she's right. And that was the, that's the key thing. And the, and the other, the other thing that John judge inherited from May and, and passed on to me is that what John wanted to do was to make himself useful to the world um, in every respect. So he would volunteer. He did all kinds of things in his life. And I think all that stuff is just as important as the conspiracy analysis. So what were those other things that he did as well as conspiracy analysis? I mean, she was really famous for it because she looked into like the Lenin killings. She looked yeah. into Manson. She wasn't just a JFK, but that time, the 60s and 70s is just rife with all kinds of. Yes. Yeah. No, it's the, per it's the perfect person in the perfect situation because just as the world was being, or America was being taken over, uh, you've got somebody who is seeing right through it at the same time. Um, yeah, and, and so that approach is what John would always talk about at the COPA meetings. Uh, and he would bring in people. His idea was always to bring in uh, people who had a level of expertise in what they were talking about in a particular subject. So if we're going to talk about forensics, he wanted to bring in somebody like Cyril Wecht or Gary Aguilar, somebody who has experience and uh, is, is trained in those fields. Um, and I, I always thought that made a lot of sense. And it also made a lot of sense to me to understand that what you're dealing with is not a single event. In other words, part of what, what makes the JFK assassination um, so easy, I guess, for the mainstream media to ignore is that they always treat it as an event in isolation. So, geez, why would this ever happen? Why would somebody, you know, why does the government want to kill JFK? You know, well, you don't understand that unless you look at everything else that's also going on. Because you had black operations that were in use 
that were overthrowing other countries. And those are the same guys, essentially, who plan and execute the murder of Kennedy. And then later, the murder of Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and a whole bunch of black Fred Panthers. Hampton, right? You have Hampton. And Fred Hampton, Hampton yes. Um, and, you know, and then you get you get to Jonestown and you get to all kinds of other stuff that's going on. And it, it sounds preposterous if you're just saying it, you know, to someone, well, you know, all these things are interrelated. They'd say you're ridiculous, except if you actually start doing the work, then you start to realize, oh, these things really are connected to one another. And they're connected. They're, they're specifically getting rid of people who will make it a problem for this right wing behemoth that is now running the United States as we see right now. Um, right. I mean, it really is this kind of deep state thing goes all the way back. All, yes. I mean, that was coined by, um, well, you mentioned his name in there. Gosh, I can't remember. Deep state. Do you remember? Well, his, the, the, uh, is, so Peter Dale Scott. Deep, um, deep politics. Sorry. Yeah, Peter deep politics. Uh, parapolitics is what Ken Thomas calls it. Um, and you're right. May Brussel had an influence on all that stuff to the point to where, you know, Paul Krasner was the first person who published May. And uh, Krasner was very much of, how do I want it? It's, um, he was, he, he represented the counterculture as I prefer it. It's very much my thing. Like Krasner was uh, a comedian. He was extremely witty. He was a satirist, uh, but he was also investigating real things. I, a little bit like Robert Anson Wilson, I guess. Um, and so it made perfect sense that May would be published by Krasner. Um, and then, of course, later on, uh, she grew to influence all kinds, of, you know, at John Judge, Alex Constantine, any number of people that work in this field. The, the, sorry to interrupt, but that O'Neill book, yeah, Chaos, yeah. a lot of that it was influenced by her. I mean, there's a lot. She was a precursor to that book, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, probably that's a topic for another thing. I'm, I'm, right. I, was le I was less excited by Chaos than the people were. Um, and maybe I was even a little hard on it when I first uh, read it. Um, I mean, it's 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 a perfectly fine book. I, I do think it's funny that um, just now we have semi-mainstream books that are getting about 50% of the way that May Brussel got in real time. Right, good point. Um, you know, so it's kind of, I, I was like, okay, yeah, I mean, this is all this is all to the good, um, but it's also in May. And I, I didn't think that it added a lot to that discussion, but that's, it's probably for another, that's a whole topic for another show. Right. But I mean, but you had, so you have these connections to these long-term researchers and a lot of people like it's a really its own community of Chelly and some of these other characters Wack yeah. pops up a lot in that. I mean, can you talk about that? And you got asked to be involved in, that was the intro to your first book, your first volume is the intro or the King Kill 63, where you really met ah, a lot of them. Yes. Well, okay, so the, well, actually, the reason I got hired onto well, let me back up some more, uh, because originally I was hired to work on a script for a film called Dallas and Wonderland, and the reason I got hired to that was because I had connections in everything. So they they needed someone, uh, <laughs> they needed someone who would be a good person to get people to go on camera. Uh, but also that wouldn't want to take over the production um, because sometimes they had approached, let me put it this way. They had approached other people. They had approached, I think two other people before they got to me. And in both of those cases, 
the person that they were trying to hire essentially wanted to run the entire production. Well, that's, you know, Hollywood doesn't work like that. And because I, I'm, I'm, I'm a playwright and I've written, you know, screenplays before and things. Um, I have somewhat of an understanding of that. And they also liked that part of it. So I ended up getting tied up with this Dallas and Wonderland production for several years. And, uh, and which also uh, came, came into existence, a documentary called King Kill 63. Now in the film, Dallas and Wonderland, the protagonist was a documentary filmmaker who was making a film about the Kennedy assassination. So the conceit was is that we would he would we would make the film that he was making, and um, the only, the film never got made. This is a again this is a four hour discussion uh, that has more to do with Hollywood than anything else. Um, despite the fact that there was a lot of real uh, excellent talent signed up for that movie, um, anyway it fell through. And when that fell through, the documentary also fell through. And so as a result, that film has only ever been seen once at the Dallas International Film Festival in 2015. Was King Kill 63? Yeah, King Kill the documentary. Oh, well, we showed it I one think time. something like that is on. I thought it was on Amazon. Or, I, it, not um, it may, you may see a thing for it. You can see, you can oh. find it on IMDb. You can find the stories that were done on it in Variety. Um, but it never had an official uh, release. Wow. And I don't know if it ever will. I have no idea. Um, oh, you may be thinking. You may be thinking of the Searchers. Uh, okay, the Searchers is a different will. documentary uh, that Randy Benson did. That I, I had, I was not involved in the same capacity. I, I was a research person for that, but I wasn't, you know, involved in the script, the scripting, and any of that stuff. Right. Um, it is no, on and I, and IMDb. I, yeah. Yeah, it's on IMDb, and I wish the hell people could see it because I thought it was great. Uh, and it got a fantastic reaction in Dallas when we showed the thing. Um, I answered questions after the film until they kicked us out, basically. Um, but yeah, we got Cyril for that and uh, Richard Belzer and, uh, gosh, Joseph McBride, Jim DiGenio and Oliver Stone, um, who gave us a three and a half hour interview, which is amazing, and helped us out with Warner Brothers. It, he, was, he was fabulous. And he didn't know us when we came in. Um, but of course, Oliver Stone, you know, just made his own film, which also had its own distribution problems in, in the United States at first. So it's still the third rail of American politics, as they said. The JFK assassination remains a very touchy subject and very difficult to get stuff made. It's still incredible up to this time. And they still were supposed to release information and they still didn't do yeah. that. So it's yeah. it really incredible. Yeah. And it, but it's, this, it, it's amazing. Long. And so what, and you know, it, with every year that goes by, it's another way to the question of what are they hiding? Like, what are they waiting for? Right. What is and the maybe, purpose? I mean, you, right. I mean, there's something there that they don't want to talk about. You talk about, so you, like you went in your book, you talk about meeting Belzer, Dick Gregory, mm -hmm. all these kind of giants on the, into the investigation. Belzer, I forgot the name of his book that he wrote, but he wrote uh, he's written three, he's written three number one bestsellers. That touch all on the Kennedy, Kennedy assassination. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, know that. yeah, yeah. Uh, Dead wrong and um, gosh, I don't remember all the titles. But he's really remember on the subject. And okay. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say. I remember one was really covering all the people who who died around the the uh, assassination. Yes, he sort of um, inherited the the mantle of Penn Jones Jr. 
who focused very much on the deaths um, after uh, the Kennedy assassination. That was Penn Jones's focus. Yeah, Penn jo- and Penn Jones was another guy who was uh, a big influence on John Judge. Um, Penn lives in Texas or lived in Texas, um, and had run a small uh, press in this little, this tiny little town. Uh, and it was really funny because the newspaper that he ran would have articles about, you know, um, people selling milk or, you know, what the price of, you know, Ma's pies are. And then there'd be this editorial by Penn Jones about the Kennedy assassination. Um, and, uh, you know, he got firebombed by the Ku Klux Klan. It's a, Penn Jones is an incredible story. They have a, so at the, at the Baylor library, uh, at the University of Baylor in Waco, um, they have a, a collection of Penn Jones's stuff. And uh, I've been through it many, many times. There's a lot of, a lot of great information. A, a number of other uh, JFK people have also sent their stuff to them, including John Armstrong and Dick Russell. Um, a lot of really excellent work. And Jack White, if you know, if you know Jack White. Some uh, of these names are familiar to me. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't remember the name. I've never heard of Ben Jones. I've heard of uh, some of these other names are very familiar to me. But I'm glad I'm talking to you because I didn't know some of these other researchers. Yeah, like some of that early research, you got people who are listening. It's prior to the internet. It's prior. To oh yeah. Oh, media. oh way so much before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think, yeah. when, and I, I think that's. Yeah. Sorry. Please continue. No, oh, no. I was just gonna say, and and there were people like I mean somebody that I admired very greatly, Vincent Slandria. Um, Vince immediately, like the weekend of the assassination, thought that there was something hanky. As soon as Ruby shot Oswald, he said, "Well, this is impossible," and and uh, Slandry started working on the case instantly, like right at the top. And there were people who were like that. Ben Jones is another one. Fascinating. Slandry was a lawyer too, right? Wasn't he from like New York City? Slandry, yes, Slandry kind of was was a was a lawyer. He he died uh, fairly recently now. Uh, God, is it almost been two years? Anyway, Vincent Slandry was the sweetest man on earth. He was excellent uh, and very, very, very intelligent. And his articles are still very much worth reading. And it was kind of like a great unraveling, like the the progression of trying to get it. Just people are adding more and more information. But there's also some myths and disinformation in that whole yes. process of unraveling JFK. Can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah, there's there's been a um, it's funny because the mainstream media frequently refers to uh, JFK assassination books as a cottage industry, which ignores that there's an enormous industry of producing books that are essentially uh, full of lies in in an effort to drown out the books that are good. Um, You know, so Vincent Bugliosi allegedly got paid a million dollars to write that, you know, atrocious thing that he did. And uh, I saw somebody the other day was trying to prop up uh, Gerald Posner again, which is amazing to me because all you have to do is Google Gerald Posner's career in the last 20 years, and you will quickly see why nothing he does can be trusted. And I'm not going to go into the details of anything, but it's a Google search away. Um, He's still around. I think one of his books, yeah, Posner's still still at it. You actually contributed. It's interesting because you critiqued this book. I had this, and uh, I was amused uh, oh yeah, hell hell no. See yeah. you critique this. I was reading through it too. I was like, there's some problems here. But uh, it's important for yes. people, listeners, to understand. There's a lot of dis and misinformation, and some are benign. They're they're just not well informed, and then some, to me, are there's a lot more 
cleverness and creativity behind some of those uh, disinformation books out there. In my there, there is a great deal of subtlety um, in some of these books, and um, and it's hard for me to advise people in general. Um, I think somewhere on my website I listed like my favorite Kennedy books. Um, but some of this requires just a lot of homework and a lot of detail to understand why um, something is hanky. Um, and I try to get it, you know, and, and you've read you've read my essay. So you, I try to explain point by point, uh, like an hellhound on his trail, why the this is not to be trusted, especially when it, and it's one thing when it's everybody makes mistakes like I make mistakes all the time. Like that's that's something that happens. But if you were continually making the same mistake over and over again, and even when you're corrected, you're continuing to publish it over and over again, uh, then there's probably a problem. You, you have an agenda of some kind. No, it's and very important. And I, I think that the JFK can be kind of like a Petri dish for even larger things in our society where other cases, there's definitely misinformation agents or, dis or paid PR people who yeah. are letting it on. Oh, yeah. So I think that it's just something that you learn through trial and error. Cause I've investigated other criminal cases and clearly there are operators who are deliberately spreading misinformation. And JFK is not just a perfect example of that. Wow. Very much so. And it also, uh, I'm, you said you're, uh, you're an investigator. I was a private investigator myself for a couple of years. And um, I'm just a, I'm just an you... investigative reporter, not a private. I've known. Oh, okay. I have, okay. A, I have a law well, degree. That's I, it. <laughs> oh, well that's, Hey, Beats me. Um, I was doing mostly insurance cases um, and occasionally criminal cases, but um, very obvious questions that you would ask in a normal criminal case never get asked in any of these other cases. Uh, you know, if uh, if a lady who is married gets murdered, who probably did it? The husband. Her husband. And if the husband gets murdered, the wife probably did it, right? So there may not be what actually happened, but you got to ask that question. You have to go in and you say, what? if a jewelry store gets robbed, I want to talk to everybody who works there. Why do I want to do that? Well, because they know how the jewelry store works. They have inside information that might help. I'm also going to ask, you fired anybody lately, right? That would be a reasonable question to ask because maybe somebody who's fired knows the internal workings of your business and also has a grudge. So we know we have a motive. And this is not to say that all of that is is uh, totally reliable. I mean, it could be a dark horse. Who knows? But those are reasonable questions to ask. But in these cases, those are totally, totally irrational. So if the president gets killed, you, you cannot ask whether the vice president knew about it. So that question is just totally off the table because it's it, these people are gods. They cannot be questioned as to whether or not they would participate in the assassination of someone where they're going to gain a whole lot of power as a result, which is not to say that Lyndon Johnson did it. I don't believe that, but you have to ask the question and that question then spirals on to other things. You know, did, does Alan Dulles have a motive? Well, he knows the internal workings of the government and he recently got fired. So maybe that's a, a reasonable place to investigate. Um, so it's really funny to me, like in all these cases, all of the sort of standard things you would do, if I was investigating any kind of crime the standard questions I would do, this the procedure I would follow, they never are followed in any of these cases. It's, right. it's MLK, crazy. RFK, like, all of them. Right? They're all the same. Just, and even that, like when when Tippett got murdered in the Kennedy assassination, the police officers did not canvas the area. Like that's nuts. Okay, if I was, I I, I investigated like a pharmacy holdup, I canvassed the area. 
that's just it's a standard thing that you do and they didn't do it on the tippet shooting well why not why are they ignoring police procedure right and that's just the that's just it riddles the entire jfk event is so many oh yeah it's not investigated i mean yeah right yeah i mean and all of the warren commission and all that stuff it's just like the, one of the main suspicious person you mentioned dulles is sitting on the warren commission and with john j mccoy it's just off the charts I mean, the insiders right. have to know it's brazen, like to the yes. out, like people who aren't familiar with DC politics or may not be li- li- readers or, or political junkies. They may go, "Oh, this is strange." But the insiders, when they saw McCloy and and Dulles on there, they just had to have like a laugh, chuckling at the club, you know, hanging out with the guys in the big leather bound chairs. Like it's just a total fix, man. Well, and I think there's something to that, that in other words, if you're doing a public execution of the president, then you have Alan Dulles and John J. McCloy uh, essentially being the head of the investigation. Alan Dulles was the, uh, I believe he was the only member who showed up to every single Warren Commission meeting. Wow. I think that's right. I think, and I'm, But anyway, the, the point being, he was the most active member. That's signaling to everybody else in Washington that there's a new sheriff in town and you need to get with the program. Right. And that message does come across because people do get with the program. You don't see a bunch of Washington insiders suddenly investigating the Kennedy assassination. And then later when Garrison picks up the mantle, Garrison is destroyed essentially um, from the inside out because he has chosen to be the person that's going to stand up to this, the entire government, which is now changed. Right. right. It was a huge mm-hmm. coup, but it, the mechanics of it were much, in my opinion, much broader than people think. Like, I think you're saying. That, like, yeah. Was, yeah. I, like I tend it, not to get into. Oh, go ahead. It's almost like, like the Caesar. I liken it to when they killed Caesar, everybody had to dip their blood to show they were part of the conspiracy. I think there was something akin to that that happened sub rosa beneath the surface where everybody like, are you on board or not? Right. Yes. No, I entirely agree with you. And and you see that again, pop up on down the line. Um, I think part of what did happen is that the machine got a little out of control. Um, later on with stuff like Jonestown, you're like, what the hell are they doing? Like what, you know, um, where they kind of, the, 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 it's like the, the, this black goo like pops up the surface for a minute and then they have to come and cover it up real quick uh, because there's this this evil that has uh, inseminated itself into all of DC operations. Um, like I say, with the murder of Bobby Kennedy and the attempted murder of Teddy Kennedy and uh, Martin Luther King, these, these, this is all part of the same thing. It's all part of the same structure. And that's the thing that I think is important to understand because it's not a hobby. Like if, if JFK, if the JFK assassination is a hobby or a cold case for somebody to solve like the Zodiac or, you know, the Jack the Ripper, you know, people get into these things, um, then it doesn't have any effect on the rest of the world. But when you understand that the assassinations are connected, suddenly a lot of things become clear in American life. And it also becomes clear the nightmare that we are currently living becomes understandable. 
Good point. So it goes back to really Kennedy, though, right? And it goes back 50 years, all this stuff that's happening. You could actually yeah. throw in the attempted killing of Ford, uh, who would have benefited <laughs> Nelson Rockefeller. Yeah. You can yeah, throw yeah, in yeah. Reagan, right? I mean, there's a lot. Yeah, and George Wallace. Um, George you know, I talk point, about yeah. the, the shooting of George Wallace, which is a very bizarre shooting. This guy, Arthur Bremer, uh, shoots him, and then he has a diary, and Gore Vidal says I read the diary and it, and uh, it looks to me like it was written by E. Howard Hunt because he was aware of E. Howard Hunt's style. And E. Howard Hunt, you know, pops up. He pops up at Chappaquiddick. He pops up all over the place, obviously, in Watergate. Uh, but you, you could you could write just a little, I don't know, I thought about doing that, just a monograph of like E. Howard Hunt's movements from 1960 to 1980, and it'd be a lot of fun. You know, you'd see where oh. like he's like Zelig. He's popping up all over the place. So true. Did you think that he was one of the uh, tramps that were filmed on JFK? Have you confirmed that? Or no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, you know, and I also, I like uh, photo identification. I'm not very fun as, as a JFK researcher. And I've, I've realized this after a while because I don't really get into like photo identification. I hate photo identification. I, I you know, because it always ends up being you look at a picture of somebody and you look at a picture of somebody else and you go, well, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's him. I don't know. So how do you ever get resolution on something like that? Also, the the arguments about the Z film and whether, you know, it's been altered or not. I mean, clearly it, it was altered, but how much alteration? Um, you know, I don't know. I think there's there's more fruitful lines to pursue in the case than those things, um, especially because I'm not a photographic expert. I'm not a visual expert. Um, you know, I know something about cinema, but that, you know, that doesn't make me an expert on whether the Z film is, is real or fake. Right. And you have that 10 point program in your book. Like this is the way that we should analyze these problems that yeah. we know are problems. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, the, that article, that was the first, I think that was the first article that got published uh, by Jim Diogenio, uh, which at that time was CTKA and has since become Kennedy's and King and probably written more articles for Jim than anybody else. Now that I think about it. Um, but it was also a pretty naive article on my part um, because that was like 2000, maybe 2008 or so. And I, I did not fully understand at that point the conflicts that were going on between the research, between researchers, and how deep some of that ran. Because um, I had only been doing this stuff for a couple of years at that point. And although I had met a number of people, I was still very much a like a student, like I was a bright eyed kid. I was like, Oh man, like I'm, this is so cool hanging out with Robert Broden, you know, which it is. Um, but I didn't have a level of understanding. These, these are guys who've been doing this for 20 years at that point or 30 years or 40 years. Jesus. Um, and I don't think I would have written the article in the same way that I did then, but but it it was it is still I think a pretty good idea to try to nail down some of the key points because my idea was to try and get people to agree on certain things and then we can decide how to pursue this together. Well, there is no together. Um, there's just allies and um, 
hangers-on and enemies. And trying to put them all in one big tent was a mistake on my part Um, because it's just not going to happen. But I think the the content is is not bad. Oh, good. What do you think the lines of disagreement are between those people that are – make them have bad blood what are the main points do you oh know? you don't have to name yeah. names but just the issues i was going to say that this wouldn't be a good place for me to go because so here's the thing right some of this is intellectual some of it is intellectual property so uh you know this is old joke about professors uh they say why is academic politics so dirty and the answer is because the stakes are so small right and there's something to that in the research community so what happens in academia is you go and you become a, a professor and then you're a professor and this is your thing. This is what you do. I do like in my father's case, uh, he's an, he's a, a historian of Mexico uh, and very specific, a revolutionary decade in the 19th century. Like that's, that's my dad's thing. Um, and at that time when he was, when he was a professor, I think there was one other professor who was sort of specializing in that, but he lived in Rhode Island, not next to Mexico. So that was a, that was, that was a bad point on his part. But the point is, is that it can get ugly because somebody decided you're this and then somebody else says, well, no, you're wrong. It's actually this. And the first person digs in their heels and says, no, you know, the film is altered. Well, no, I think the film isn't altered. And then that becomes something bitter. But then there's a whole other thing, (laughs) which is that you also find that people just don't like each other. So for whatever, and there's could be long history. You could write a novel about some of those disagreements and those go back a long way. Um, and so those things, again, you can't really do anything about that. And you, and you, and you, if you're coming in from the outside, you don't realize at first, like there were times when I would think, wow, this person says actually something fairly similar to this person. I wonder if they get along. And the answer turned out to be no, uh, that they hate each other because of something that has nothing to do with the case. It's something to do with something personal or who knows. I think that line comes from Henry Kissinger. I think he said that in about academia <laughs> was the stakes were so little. I think that goes back to him, which is another interesting thing. But, uh, say, yes, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so there's been a lot of, I mean, the JFK community has gone and morphed and people have passed away. Where do you think the people are now? Do you think that the interest is still there? Are people still kind of, hanging out or there's still copa meetings or how are things now there's no copa ended when yeah copa ended when john died and he was about to close shop anyways as you know he recognized that he was getting older and he was having trouble walking and things um i think the interest is still there there are still conferences that are going on i haven't been to dallas since 20 i want to say either 2016 or 2018 um, so I couldn't tell you what the conferences are like now. Um, I only would go to the COPA conferences. Um, and I, I, so I don't do Judy Baker and I haven't done the, uh, the Lancer conference either. Um, but I know that they still happen. And in fact, I just found out literally today, my buddy just told me that, um, Judy Baker is having a thing in Austin cause she moved to Austin now. So. Oh, Judith, Judith Barry Baker, is that who you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So gotcha. that's happening. Um, which I do I've not heard, think yeah. is a positive development. Um, yeah. Yeah, those are that's a whole nother story about people in the in the JFK community, how authentic or how mm-hmm. real they are or whatever. But that's all I didn't 
not really a necessary I, subject matter for this conversation. I couldn't tell you. I've had my experiences, and my experiences have not been positive, and and I don't, I don't, I also don't. It's it's also the kind of thing that I just don't like. I don't like it when they're like the whole thing. There's been another. There were there have been books that are written like this, where the whole thing is essentially a story, and it's this person, and they're saying that this is my story, and this is the thing, and you know I had sex with Lee Harvey Oswald or whatever, you know, whatever that thing is, it has nothing to do with the case. And I have to basically say, I either believe you or I don't believe you. And that's all I got. Right. That's, but it's not like, a not re, it's a, not expanding the research and understanding of what happened. Right? It's not. I mean, it, if, if you believe this person, then it maybe changes a couple of things, but nothing, nothing really is, is, is gained uh, in my opinion. And again, it's just my opinion, and I've I've gotten hate emails before, and I'm sure I will again for saying this kind of thing. Um, but yeah. I what I like to see is I like to see somebody who is reading a text and then drawing conclusions from that text, rather than let me tell you my story. And it's always this wild thing. Uh, there've been there've been books like that, and I just I mean they're fine if you like them, um, uh, but it doesn't. I, I, it's not what it's not what we're doing. It's like I'm, I'm going to write a novel, then write a novel. Uh, right. But this it's is a, almost this is a different like, thing. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like it's fictional too. I mean, some of these. I'm not specifically pointing out anybody's name, but I've had people talk to me about their story, and they want to come on the podcast or broadcast. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's like, what? Can you verify oh, anything? Yeah. What's going on? Where's the facts? Just write it out. No. And those people go by the wayside, <laughs> but they're out there. So you just see people. There's people in the alternate community too. I mean, that's a whole nother story. But <clears throat> their stories are like I had the. Uh, I was associated with uh, the guy who died in D.C. and blah blah. And people, you know, yeah. they've been busted. They've been exposed. But um, I, I mean, what maybe like, so? Maybe. Yeah. So the JFK, I mean, do you think that they'll ever, there's just, it's kind of like an open source for the United States culture and history. Will it ever be resolved? I don't think so, no. No. I mean, I, I don't, you know, if you look at the country right now, and I don't want to be uh, seem despondent, but uh, I think people have a good sense, and that's part of the malaise that generally is felt around the country, that we're coming to the end. Um, that this is basically the United States is not going to be running for a whole lot longer. Um, and that's just my impression. Things are breaking down um, on, on a very um, street level. I was talking to a guy the other day about uh, getting a new um, dryer, you know, and we started talking about the collapse of the Soviet Union, where getting things done, we just start to assume that it's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, like your postal service, maybe the, maybe the mail comes today, maybe it doesn't, right? Starting to get that way. And it has to do with the general collapse of society that partially has to do with COVID. But the thing about COVID is people have started to really realize, like, where's my life going? Does capitalism make any sense? Um, do I have a chance to make it in this world, particularly if you're Generation Z and you have, you know, $100,000 worth of uh, college bills? Like, what am I going to do with my life? I'm going to work at Starbucks. Is that what we're doing? How am I going to buy a house? How do I afford how, this? Yeah, am I ever going to get out of debt? Forget it. Forget it. Like, yeah, people never have buy, buy a house. 
Bro, my yeah. $500 charge right now to the average family will bankrupt them. When my parents bought a house for $40,000, I think my dad made $5,000 a year. Like to pay off the yeah. mortgage was nothing. A 30-year mortgage yeah. didn't even exist. Mortgage was done for exactly. four years. So this next generation, I mean, you talk about nihilism, hopelessness, psychological problems. It's because of the system in the society, in my opinion. Sorry. That's what I think. And I think that that is either going to dissolve into nihilism uh, and collapse, or you're looking at a revolution at some point. At some point in the next 50 to 100 years, you're looking at people are going to change the way things are being done. And I have to wonder if that isn't why uh, some of these very wealthy people are moving out of the United States. And then some of them, of course, want to get off planet because they feel like the whole thing is is going under, you know, maybe. And I mean, you can tie it yeah. back to JFK, a slow progression of uh, injustice, Absolutely. lacking of, of aristocratic power. And every, well, there's I mean, this thing... This, yeah, right. You, you, it, there's this thing that Plato talks about, which is the noble lie in the Republic, uh, which is that the a successful Republic requires some uh, some type of thing to unify them, and it doesn't have to be true. It just has to work, and that I think is what gets killed on November 22nd, 1963, is that you can no longer believe in something that is unifying the country in any sense because the king is dead and what becomes it becomes very i mean to me it becomes very obvious that uh you know oswald is is not the shooter or even if he was the shooter that he's not doing it on his own accord um and i think everybody gets that sense and their attempts to cover it up and make it make it good again don't work um there's always been a an underclass in this country which allows capitalism to function in the way that it functions and this is one of the questions that i ask i write a zine series for uh microcosm publishing that include like an introduction to jfk an introduction to mlk and rfk uh and i wrote one on jonestown that went back to the history of of guiana and my question is is capitalism possible without slavery and the answer is we don't know because it's never been tried so if everybody understands this, if, if the 1% understand this, fine. But the more people that understand that reality, that can't live with that reality and can't recognize that maybe I can get out of this somehow, that's going to lead to perpetual malaise and disillusionment. Um, you know, that story, I think it's a Shirley Jackson story, The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas. Uh, it's a short story. It's about a town where everything's great. Um, and then um, this person is allowed to go down into the basement where there's this child who is tortured perpetually. And they tell that person, uh, everything is great in this town, but we have to keep torturing this kid. Otherwise, everything will fall apart. And after they learn that information, some people stay and some people walk away. And I think that's kind of what's happening right now. Right. Yeah, I, I think the consequences will be shorter. I mean, it'll be near future of what happened during COVID and and a lot of things that have happened oh, yeah. in recent. I mean, I don't I don't think that the the corporate media, which is puppeteered by the powerful people, is holding its 
grasp upon the American mind anymore. And I, I think that that's going to cause a lot of problems in destabilization because that system yes. can't sustain itself. It cannot sustain itself. I'm sorry. We're almost like they're literally kicking the debt can down the street every three months, which, you know, eventually just somebody's not going to want a dollar bill. It's not going to be worth anything. Like we're going to be at hyper. That's just one of the issues. Hyperinflation right. like uh, Germany. And that, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's like a, that's one of 10 or 20 issues that are problems. So, And as long as we had the most powerful military in the world and were seen as this beacon of liberty in the propaganda, um, that had some viability. But with the U.S. lacking that, we're no longer seen as this great hope for the world. And can we perpetuate this military solution to everything forever? Like both of those things are, they're not going to work. So, you know, it, something has to change. Something's got to give. That's really it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's going to be an interesting couple decades coming up. I got to tell you, I don't know what's going to happen. Yes. I mean, so what? Yes. where's the best place? I mean, I've got your website here on screen. It's Joe Green, JFK. Tons of research. You've got a lot of tabs here. Political writing, film writing, book scenes and plays. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the best place to go. And you can get it, you know, I'm affiliated with the Hidden History Center, which you can always go to hiddenhistorycenter.org. You can get these links right off. Um, and also radical.org, R-A-T-I-C-A-L.org, which is run by Dave Ratcliffe. Um, you know, you I've can heard of Dave Ratcliffe. Out. What did he write about? I used to read him. Um, what? Yeah, he wrote a book called Understanding Special Operations, which was um, his interviewing with uh, Fletcher Prouty. Uh, oh. But Ratcliffe has written a ton. Of, I mean, if you go to radical.org, you can read all that stuff. He's. I think he's, I used uh, to read him he's, 20 years ago, I think. That's unbelievable. Uh, like, he was one of my go-to writers. Yeah, yeah no, he, he, he does fantastic work. You can't, can't beat him. Check that out. Um, you have and, a podcast uh, too, also, Rachel? Well, <laughs> sort of. I tried to do a podcast, um, and I have one episode that I need to upload, and then I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, because it turns out that I'm not that great at doing a podcast. Um, I need somebody to talk to. <laughs> like if I just well, sit there with the camera and talk, it doesn't seem to work. I find that the interviewers, it works. You get somebody who has specialized knowledge like you and it makes uh, makes it a lot easier. Because, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you know. I don't know. Like your history of just the JFK community, assassination community, is so important because a lot of people don't understand those the genealogy, Brussels, to judge, to people like you, to today, that all work back. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I agree. And there's, um, and there's, a, there's a really good book uh, that John Kellen did called uh, Praise from a Future Generation, which does cover um, the early Kennedy researchers and then uh, their split. Because there was a big split in the, in the Kennedy community. Of course, it wasn't a community. Um, but the reason why, you know, Sylvia Marr didn't get along with Vincent Landry and things, you know, um, and it basically has to do with Garrison. Um, there were some people who decided that Garrison was doing a good thing and they tried to help him. And there were people who thought that Garrison was a disaster and actively got in their way. And that stuff even comes on closer to the present um, because it was actually a JFK researcher who, for example, released the JFK screenplay to uh, either Time or Newsweek magazine, I forget. But when, uh, I think it was Time, when they reviewed 
a, the first script for JFK that Oliver Stone wrote with, um, oh gosh, I can't think of his co-writer right now. Um, that was done by one of the early researchers um, who didn't agree with the fact that Garrison was the hero. That was the big split. Interesting. Um, so the it's only problem fantastic. with uh, it's a great book. This Kellen book is terrific. The only thing is he does not really cover May Brussel in it. Um, so that's that's an unfortunate. But uh, Feral House a few years ago did publish a collection of May's writing, which you can get. Uh, I think it's called the Complete May Brussel. I wrote a review of it I don't know, ten years ago or something. It was a long time. Um, but that is available too. And I would highly she was it. one of the real early kind of uh, talk radio, whatever. Yes. For she had hundreds and hundreds of hours, if not thousands of hours, of stuff that she yes. did. Yes, right? and if you go to worldwatchers.info, worldwatchers.info, you can listen to many of those original shows. Uh, my buddy Rob Filotico set that up. Uh, unfortunately, Rob passed on. A few years ago, um, but the site continues to be maintained, and you can get not all of her shows, but quite a few of them. Um, Rob is a big loss. He was he was a very intelligent young man who I think knew more about May Brussel than anybody on the planet at the time that he died. Uh, but that's a great website that people can look at as well. Cool. I mean, it's so important, and she was really kind of the one first parapol one of the early parapolitical post-war. I mean you know put his conspiratorial type journalist like understanding that there's so everything's conspiratorial after world yeah, war ii yeah. In the United States, yeah. yeah and arguably invented it um she got called the queen of conspiracy a lot um but it was a dismissive term because she was quote-unquote just a housewife um May was a genius. She's smart. John Judge really used to tell me stories about May all the time. They were just, you know, she'd take a newspaper and immediately see what was important and cut it out. And, you know, she'd be able to go through. And if you uh, watch um, Randy Benson's documentary, The Searchers, um, he shows John Judge um, kind of showing the technique of looking at the newspaper and seeing what. Um, John used to say something really funny that. Um, that May Brussel used to read the, the paper, and then at a certain point, the newspaper got so bad that the only thing that was worth reading was the society pages, because that told you who was connected to whom. Um, and you could draw all kinds of conclusions just from that. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. And she kind of had a kind of rough, like I think she passed away early from cancer. Her daughter was in a car crash. Like she thought some suspicious yes. stuff happened to her. She did. Yeah. She had a, there was a, I want to, these are stories that are sort of half remembered by me. So I, I may get some of these details wrong, but may uh, there was apparently a house across the street from where she was living uh, that had been abandoned. And then all of a sudden these two guys, and they were very clearly like FBI, you know, there's these guys that wear suits and hats all the time and dark glasses and never do anything except watch her house. And she used to bake pies and bring them over and <laughs> say, here you go. You know, if you're going to be watching me, you should, you should at least have some pie. Uh, so that was her attitude about things. She, um, you know, she had people that would come, uh, young people that would come to her house just to listen to her talk. And they would, you know, they, they would have group meetings outside and just talk about stuff. I mean, it's, she was amazing. I, I never met her. She died in the, uh, when I was like 10 years old, I think. Um, so everything I have is secondhand through John. 
because uh, I think she was Monterey, California, or somewhere, somewhere Monterey, in the Monterey yeah. Bay mm-hmm. area. Yeah, back when it was more rural, more rural, heavy rural area. It, it, exactly, exactly. Yeah, really, something else. Well, is there, Joe, is there anything else you'd like to add? I mean, that's super helpful. Getting this history is very important, and where people can kind of find this information. I'll put your website if people want to reach out to you for contact information in the show notes. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to add or anything I missed before we wrap up? Uh, that pretty much goes. I do have a new book. It is done. I've been trying to get it in print since late last year. It was supposed to come out like in October. It's going to come out fairly soon, but it's a bunch of, anyway, we had a lot of problems, but, uh, but it's called tinfoil hat, not included. And it will be out in the next month, maybe two months. I, I hate to make these predictions now because so many things have gone wrong. It's unbelievable. Um, but, uh, but pretty soon it'll be out. And I have a whole zine series at microcosm publishing, which you just, if you uh, look up that and put my name in there, you'll find I've written, uh, I don't know, seven or eight zines. And they're designed. So one of the things about descending views is that they're not written for beginners. Um, they were written for outlets that are not for beginners. And so they, they are pretty academic. Uh, my zines are a little bit easier to read. So they're, they're introductions to stuff. Uh, like I say, uh, MLK assassination, JFK assassination, uh, Chappaquiddick, all kinds of things. So that's also something that I mean, that's that a, the Chappaquiddick thing. I had no idea that Hunt was involved with Chappaquiddick. You have to come back. Oh, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. The guy who did a bunch of work on Chappaquiddick is, is uh, uh, Robert Cutler. Cutler is one of my favorites. Again, a guy I never met. He died uh, before I even got into this stuff. But I've become utterly fascinated with Robert Cutler. And uh, he did a bunch of work on Chappaquiddick. His work is. And part of the reason that I wrote that zine, and I'm going to write another one pretty soon with his stuff, is because Cutler um, published his stuff in himself. Like he he would make the documents. So there, there may only be like 300 copies of his Chappaquiddick book. And it's this like kind of... Um, a stapled thing and I, i've got one of them uh, but they're very very rare they're hard to get and so i wanted to introduce people to that in an easier way and also say hey this guy was onto this case like right at the beginning um, he also lived in that area so that was that was helpful just the whole the real history of america isn't the topical history it's the parapolitical oh, no. history is really where the truth is these are yes. uh we're in a fake, I mean, you're really in a kind of a dystopian fake world because what you're brought up, at least for me as a public school person, you know, private schools, you're given a totally, uh, you know, it's like the equivalent of Wonder Bread. It's literally like yeah. denuded of any nutrients and any truth. And it really is a very scary thing to think, like I snapped out of it maybe in my mid-20s, but like there's people going, they talk about a wake-up a wake process, but like everything is is structured and fake and it's really a it's really kind of like dystopian it's really scary when you really look into and i think that's part of your theme where you started out with jfk didn't happen in a vacuum there was things that led up to it things after very dark very dark but it's the truth and that's you know and that's what's important at least to me i mean i you know i don't know what else to do uh if regular history had been the truth i would have gone along with it but it turns out you know it's not. Me so. too. Me too. Well, I spent a lot of time reading that regular history too. Like, oh wow, we gotta <laughs> get this. And kind of like Napoleon yeah. said, history is bunk. He was right. He was right back then. That was like early 19th century. 
Anyway, it's great to talk to you. Super knowledgeable. Really appreciate your time, Joe. And I'll put your show notes. I'll put your book. And again, Tinfoil Hat, can you give an idea of what's in the book or just a general? Yeah, it's um, uh, it's a it's more essays, um, but they're a little bit broader and they're a little bit um, easier to read. Like, <laughs> um, because I wanted people to be able to pick it up and get a taste of these things and then go, oh, okay, I'm, I can decide what I want to move into next. Um, because I, that is the, the one complaint that I've gotten about Descending Views 1 and 2 over the years is that it's not for beginners, and it's true. It's it's not. I mean, it's, um, you know, so if I would have done it differently well, back you have then. A lot of experience. You have a lot of experience, <laughs> so, I mean, that's the, that's the thing. But I would recommend people look through those books because there's a lot of different subjects. You're critical about certain books praising certain people. So I think that that Absolutely. people to get down the right path, you don't go through some of these other books that uh, may not be telling you the truth, but it's great to talk with you again. Your website is joegreenjfk.com. The two books we talked yes. about, we talked about a lot of different subjects, descending views, investigations into his in history, culture, cinema, and conspiracy. Joseph E. Green is the publication uh, name that he uses on the books, volume one and two. So thanks so much for your yep. time, Joe. appreciate it. Hey, thanks, William. It was really good talking to you. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Stay there.